Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. It is the 21st of December. Yes, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. The date today is 122121. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those crazy fun days. Yeah, there's probably a name for it, but. If we included the the millennium, we'd say one two two one two zero two one. But anyway, it's, it's not as fun. Not as fun. Yeah, yeah. But the one two two, and of course, if you're in certain European countries, right, it would be two one one, one, one two, two two one. one. That's yeah. even more fun. I think that is more fun. We should do that. They win. Okay, <laughs> way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't great, know. great job, guys! <laughs> Way to go! <laughs> oh, we're so proud. It's nice. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's Christmas week. It is. Yeah, it's a special time of year. It. <laughs> and you know we've we've had Christmassy weather, but I guess you know it's starting to warm up again. But it's it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yesterday. It's intermittent winter right weather because we've also had like really warm, warm weather yeah yeah it's like sort of been, upper 70s one day yeah so it's mm-hmm. been kind of a yeah i'm not sure how to describe it certainly not summer but it's yeah. been nice but today would be the first day of winter right i think so yeah yeah sometimes it kind of changes i think but no it's i think it's today yeah yay yay so, happy winter, everyone. Yes. Quick reminder, we will not have a podcast next week. Right. Or together, live stream, any of the things. Nothing next week. Yeah. It's kind of like a family vacation. Mm-hmm. Everybody does their thing. Yeah. Which gives you opportunity to listen or watch the past episodes. Yeah, you should totally do that. <laughs> of morning tea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, somebody might want to. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I think somebody will. If they if they want to. Should and will. Yeah. Well, it it being that Christmassy time of year. <laughs> I'm afraid. We we <laughs> this thought This isn't going to be a Christmassy <laughs> podcast, is it? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Sort of. Okay. So <clears throat> I So this is Tuesday. So it was Sunday night. That we thought we would kick off this week by watching the Nativity Story. Mm -hmm. So we watched that movie, The Nativity Story. And um, I I love that. It's like, it kind of gets you into the mood of a week that is and should be focused on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we started this week that way. And and that that feels really good because, yeah, it set the focus, but also there were a couple of like heart pierces that I had. Hmm. I I have them every year when we watch that movie and I had several this year. And so I spent some time with Papa on it and went into the Bible verses and, um, and that really, I think, opened some things up. So we're going to start today in Luke chapter one. And we have a, um, a newly pregnant Mary. So here's Luke 1, starting in verse 39. So at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, 
where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, which is her relative. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And, and this is a core part, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's just a cool moment right there. So, first and foremost, you know, here's Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, now she says, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why I am so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Just a, it's just a, wow. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So that was Luke 1, 39-44. So filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth realizes that the Messiah has just come into her presence and she's exclaiming, but she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So, the the Spirit reveals this to Elizabeth. And I just loved that sentence. The mother of my Lord should come to me. You know, the honor of that, you know, it was just so piercing. It just sort of wrecked me, if you will. (laughs) And um, so, I I read that and it and it just opened some things up. And of course, you know, you've got a, a couple of Holy Spirit references here, one being that it was the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus inside of Mary, of course, but I'm notating that for a reason. So, we launch forward to Jesus being a child now, so he's not a baby anymore, and, uh, and I'm in Luke 2. And I'm going to start in verse 25. So, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. So, we all know Simeon. He's one of the the heroes that we love so much. So, Simeon was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. So, now we've got another person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And... um, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So, we have yet another person who is filled with the Spirit and is being given clues that the Messiah is here. So, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. So, when uh, Joseph and Mary brought in the child, Jesus, To do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, these are his eyes who have seen the salvation of the Sovereign Lord, which you have prepared in the sight, again, the eyes, of all nations. So, what are the all nations? And a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so, I'm not done, but I'm going to just pause here because um, that's really cool. So, here we have salvation and we have uh, the light to the Gentiles and we have the glory for the people of God. And all of this prophesied by Simeon, 
who is being moved by the Spirit. And it's just such a beautiful thing, you know, that the the, um, Ruach Kodesh, you know, the Holy Spirit has moved upon two people now and because the Messiah came into their presence, you know, and and I just, you know, first of all, can we have a moment? I want to be in the presence of Jesus and I want to be moved by the Spirit and I want to say really cool things every time that happens. <laughs> yes. You know, is there a big amen there? Yeah, okay. I, I have got one. Yeah, so we just spend a whole week on that. I mean, right? There's so many, you just like spend a whole week. All right, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus, moved by the Holy Spirit and say really cool things. Okay, amen. So, but don't forget now we have how... Um, how this touched the the eyes of Simeon, but but to see the salvation of the Lord and that the light and the glory. Okay, so now we uh, continue Luke two, verse twenty five uh, through thirty five, and so we're going to keep going. So the child's uh, father and mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So again, Mary, his mother. Now, if you remember correctly, when Mary began the what we call the song um, of Mary, I I can't. yes, um, that she said that um, the future generations will be, you know, will know mm-hmm. of of what God did to her, and of course. Not only was that a picture for her, but that was a picture for us all. But So, this is what Simeon said to Mary, his mother. Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against and a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and and remember he said this to Mary the mother of Jesus and a sword will pierce your own soul too and uh, so that's Luke 2:25 to 35 so we have lots in there so we've got Mary his mother so of course you have Luke just like um, you know Matthew will later and Luke has already done several times emphasize that that Mary is the mother of Jesus and that um that Simeon's prophecy is that there will be falling and rising of many because Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. You know, and I'd like to just say that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken for as well. Yes. So, for and against. We're here to do it. That's right. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And um, we got just tons that we could unpack there. But whenever people see this sword piercing Mary's soul. I think a lot of times people say that that was on the cross when Mary was present watching her son crucified. And of course, that is so true. Um, I mean, you, you, that's just 100%. But there's another time that her soul was pierced, and we're going to do that here in a second. So, all nations, Jews and Gentile, hearts, heart thoughts revealed. And so, when we see rising and falling, what we don't want to think of as as that solely being just like heaven or hell, because really, rising is also fruitfulness, and falling is also barrenness. And so, of course, for God so loved the world that He sent Jesus 
to pierce our hearts. He sent Jesus so that we could be fruitful and not barren. And yes, he sent Jesus for salvation. So we have such a, such a big picture that is there. And so now we want to see Elohim revealed. And, and to do that, we're going to go to, uh, back to Matthew 12, because we've been here many times. So Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50, and this will be my opportunity to get a little red letter Jesus talking. Mm-hmm. So while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, he's an adult now, of course, his mother, so again, here's his mother, and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. So Jesus' reply is just sassy. And he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples. Now that by this time was was a bigger number than 12. You know, there, there he had quite a few at this point. And this is, of course, before they were offended by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. <laughs> right. But still, you know, the infamous John 666, like we talked about last week, which, you know, is, is chapter 6, verse 66. So, Jesus said, pointed to his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, for many a year... I have emphasized the brother and sister part of that because we we weren't ready for the mother part of that. But um, but let's just talk first about Mary, and then we'll get there. So if Mary had any pride at all <laughs> about being Jesus's mother, or if her if her sons uh, about being his brother, it was revealed in this moment, and because Jesus is saying that the bride. You know, the bride, these are Jesus' siblings. But, um, so, and Jesus' mother. So, of course, that, that is to say that, that it doesn't take the honor away of, from Mary because of the journey that Mary walked. And look at the, the journey that Mary walked. And that movie, The Nativity Story, does such a great job of just emphasizing. Did I get that right? Uh-uh. Emphasizing. Sizing emphasizing it's early in the morning (laughs) and I'm missing syllables. So emphasizing how Mary, you know, walked through a journey where what happened to her was a a sin in the eyes of those around her. And um, Matthew and Luke, I think, have the best nativity story. Yeah, they're the only ones that have the nativity story, actually, because Mark and John... (laughs) bypassed it and went straight to John the Baptist. But anyway, um, but they talk about how Joseph was going to quietly, you know, release her from the uh, marriage vow because she was pregnant. And the angel, of course, came to Joseph and said, dude, (laughs) you know, this is God. So, so Joseph, you know, both of them, the faith that they showed yeah. is just so, so inspiring to us all. And and I think, you know, of all of Mary's moments, you know, where God just kissed her was when Elizabeth said, you know, who am I mm-hmm. 
that the mother of my Lord would visit me. You know, it just, it just wrecks me to this moment. But, you know, if any pride came from that, you know, bye, 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 because Jesus, you know, makes this statement. But, but I would just like to um, connect this to the podcast from November 9th, which was about breath. Mm-hmm where we we went through a whole journey. And if, if you need to go through all of those scripture verses, I would recommend that you go back to the November 9th podcast. That can be something you do next week where there is no podcast. But anyway, um, but we talk about how the spirit and the bride are one by breath. And um, so that's why in Revelation twenty two seventeen, it says that the spirit and the bride say, come, we say in one voice because we are one, the breath. And of course, the spirit um, was the spiritual mother of Jesus, just as Mary was the biological or natural mother of Jesus, the man. And, uh, and so, this comment that my mother is whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. That comment is a bridal reference. Again, Jesus is pointing us to when we become the bride, when we not only believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but when we pursue our daily bread of God's will, God's way, which is our intimacy with God, our intimate personal, intimate relationship with God and that daily walk, we pursue God's will, God's way, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread in Matthew 6. And and so, the Lord's prayer even emphasized God's will done. And so, we pursue that because we are on a journey of becoming the bride, and the bride by breath is one with the Spirit. And so, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and and the Spirit, who is fully the mother of Jesus, you know, because Ruach is a noun feminine. I mean, you know, we're going to spend a week, but, you know, of course, we talked about this on November 9th, and, and this goes all the way back for the last year of, of uh, terraforming crowns and probably a little bit of bridges. But that um, that humanity was made in the image and likeness of God, not only the image. So you have the Tesalem image of God, which is masculine, but you also have the Demuth Hebrew. This is Hebrew Demuth likeness of God, which is feminine. And so all of these point to the Spirit of the Lord, which is um, the. Uh, <laughs> Oh, we're having a lot of fun here, but Ruach Adonai, Ruach Kodesh, and uh, and all of this points to the feminine side of God, the feminine likeness of God, which is the mother of God, and that's why the Holy Spirit was the one that conceived, um, because together they were the womb of Jesus. And so, Jesus said this so that we would all remember that we all are part of the bride and that the bride and the spirit are one. And that's why Jesus said that his mother is anyone, whoever does the will of my father in heaven. Wow. Just, just so cool. So, Jesus came. This is our, uh, one, of our, one of our little moments in the week of Jesus. This is Jesus' week in the world to me. And so, Jesus came to do three things. And, and again, I'm just, I'm just, 
I'm using Simeon's prophecy. I, I'm not trying to make it exclusively these three things, but but look at the picture that that Jesus gave us. Of course, Jesus came to reveal love. And so, we're going to say these three things. He brought salvation, and that is the reconciliation of the selfish world to the selfless God by laying down his life. And, you know, of course, it's the not love world to the, the God who is love. You know, it's, it's uh, the, the place of darkness to the, the place of, of light. It's all of those things. But I'm focusing on our selfishness because we, we see God who is love as, not, as being selfless. So, love is not self-seeking. And so, Jesus laid his life down so that the world could be reconciled to selflessness once again, that which is never beginning. All of those things are within the salvation that Jesus brought. But Jesus also was light, the light of the world that reveals our thoughts. And, you know, a month we could spend on that because because one example of that is our thoughts are either phantom or real. They're either phantom or true. And, and, and so, once again, Jesus calling us away from the abomination that causes desolation, our thoughts straying from uh, the reality and into the phantom, uh, fake, um, uh, demonic schemes that are around us right now, all a fruit of, of a world of selfishness. So, being light that reveals our thoughts to pierce our soul so that we can choose. So, just like uh, Simeon prophesied as he was speaking to Mary, you know, almost like he was speaking to the bride, almost like he was speaking to the bride and the spirit who will one day become one. So, the invitation to the bride, which is that our thoughts will be revealed and our souls will be pierced and that God doesn't do that to shame us or to to you know judge us as terrible he does it to rescue us and so God God did this through Jesus. Jesus brought salvation. Jesus was light so that we could see our own thoughts. And our thoughts obviously are more than just phantom or real. They're also um, love or not love. They're also dark or light. They're also fear or courage. You know, it goes on and on. But phantom or real is what God said this morning. And then the third is Jesus came to offer glory. Wow. Wow. And this, again, this goes back to Romans 8, verse 30, where Jesus didn't just come to justify us. He came to glorify us. You know, Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, you know, sons and daughters of God. Jesus is the firstborn of many who he came not just to justify, but to glorify. So, the third thing Jesus came was to offer glory by the choice of repentance, which is to respond in return that we might be fruitful. So, God reveals our thoughts, pierces our souls, but offers glory by the choice of repentance where we can respond in return so that we can become fruitful. The whole point is to be fruitful. A fruitful people, and when we're fruitful, we rescue the world. My goodness, the glory my goodness, what our King did, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jesus Week can be a week where, where we, we celebrate by loving each other and, and giving gifts to people and all of that is, is wonderful. But what, a, what a, a gift God gave to us 
salvation, light, and glory, that we can, we can be reconciled to never beginning, reconciled to never ending, and set free from the world of selfishness that has made us barren, that we could step into fruitfulness. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, a Jesus week that just reminds us we have a Jesus life I know that's right. to live. That's amazing. Uh, our ornament for heralding joy yesterday was Elizabeth. So, it's kind of cute. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think I'm going to tag on you a bit by talking about a moment when Jesus was the sign spoken against the sign of oneness that was really fought against, opposed, spoken against, and this moment where this sign was given. And it's, it was when Jesus was an adult. So, we are going through heralding joy through the 25th, through Christmas Day, and then on the 26th, we begin the Epiphanies, or the 12 Days of Christmas. We've named it the Epiphanies. So, we've um, if you got those ornaments, and you'll be continuing on through January 6th with us, um, you'll just check, go to the website and go to the blog each day, and that's where the, the reading for it will be. But this story was one I really wanted to have as part of the Epiphanies because there's four miracles, four parables, and four relationships of Jesus. And so, I really wanted to do this one, but it just wasn't the one that think El Shaddai was was aiming me at. (laughs) But I get to talk about it today, so that's amazing. So, this story is found in John 8, verses 1 through 11, and it's the story of the woman who was found in adultery and brought to the temple to Jesus. So, before I read that at all, I just want to give some context about this, this story so, the placement of this story in the Gospel of John has been greatly contested, and um, it's largely believed it was really written by Luke because it was more his style of writing. Of course, Luke um, wrote very much about the inheritance of one flesh, so he would speak about a man, then he would speak about a woman, and then he just kind of had a pattern about that. So, since this was about a woman... And Jesus, it was believed maybe it really belonged in Luke and not John. So, the authenticity of this is questioned, not that the story happened, but what, when it happened, where it happened, and which one of the gospel tellers was telling this story. But it got placed in John, and its placement was right before... Um, Jesus would be arrested. So, um, I think the fact that it is contested is significant to um, the sign that was being spoken against, because really, what is always that, that pointed arrow at us? It's to doubt or demean the authenticity of our story with Christ. Like, that is the aim of the enemy, is to to get us to doubt the authenticity of our own story, and he'll do that by having others doubt it or question it. 
and and look for proof in it. Like you can't prove that experience you had. You can't, you know, you can't flesh that out fully enough to convince someone of it. But it's it's what it did in your own heart that you're testifying about, and then that becomes a testimony to others, not that you're trying to convince of, but you're living out in real time in in a world that needs needs authenticity and the reality of Jesus. So it's been in question, but I think it's very significant that it could either be Luke or it could be John, because Luke is inheritance, the inheritance covenant, and John is the betrothal. So I feel like this story is a bridge between the two, that we have an inheritance to become one with him, and the and the aim of the enemy is to keep that from happening. We've talked about it so much over the years. He does not want us to become one because that is the sign of the bride. Oneness is the sign of the bride, and this is this is what he's fighting against with with all that he's got, which isn't as much as we like to give him credit for having. <laughs> so, so. You could say different things about what what would change if this was placed in a different part of the Gospels, but I find it significant that it's placed right before Jesus is going to be arrested and condemned. So, um, we, we're exploring here what, what Jesus was born for and who He was born for. And at this time, it was pretty tumultuous time for the religious leaders, um, probably most particularly for the Pharisees, but definitely both. But um, it was they were they were being doubted. They were being questioned. Um, the Roman Empire was challenging their identity and their necessity. Really, like we have this this government. What is what is the need of you, you know? So they're kind of talking about the necessity of these religious leaders and and wanting to kind of do away with them. And the Sadducees and others are also challenging the theological boundaries of the the Pharisees and and some of the Jewish law and all of that. So the Pharisees in these moments are trying to hold on to what they know. So they are trying to just vice grip what they know, which is keeping them from understanding what they don't yet know. So they were very comfortable with their traditions, and they had made this structure that they believed should be impregnable. It couldn't, couldn't be altered, it couldn't be changed, couldn't be affected. And so they have all these things they think they made. And honestly, they had kind of made their own version of the image of God. Now, the Sadducees are doing that too. So this is all happening alongside each other. And that's why they're so at odds with each other, because they have their own version of the image of God. The Pharisees' image of God resulted in a theology of order. You know, it was all about, about order. And, and then you've got the Sadducees making their own. So now here's Jesus, who is challenging and also changing 
their power structure because he came in power. And he was really, in their eyes, just another enemy. You know, they've got the Roman Empire that's an enemy. The Sadducees and Pharisees are enemies of each other. And now Jesus is just another enemy who threatened their way of life. And he came with this wildness that they they couldn't figure out how to tame. They could not tame it. And they knew what was happening with the Roman Empire. Like they knew the the things that they were saying and doing, but Jesus, they couldn't quite figure out what his goal was and what he was doing. They just knew it was challenge. He was challenging the way of life they had created, and that can often be one of the piercings we have. Is does Jesus challenge our way of life? Does he call us to live differently than than this way we set up? And does he does he disrupt our version of the image of God? and reveal the true image of God to us, which is one of the things he was born for, was to reveal the image of God, the likeness of God in a, in a tangible, present way. So there's this woman who was set up to trap him, to trap Jesus. She was of no consequence to these religious leaders. She was a pawn in their game to try to get Jesus out of the way. So, obviously, she was sinning. You know, she was caught in sin, but that really wasn't the ultimate point of the story. So, it's dawn as we enter John 8, and Jesus is at the temple. He's already there teaching, and people have already gathered, and it describes them as spellbound by the things he's saying. They've just never heard things like this. Um, before and so they're there and it's preparation time for Passover and all these things are happening so pilgrims are coming into the land so the crowd around him is is even larger than it had been because you have all these people coming in for Passover so he's teaching but they have caught in quotes this woman in in the act of adultery, and they've brought her for trial. Now, there's some really significant things to understand about this to see how big the trap was that they were setting, or how how fiercely the sign was spoken against in these moments. Because there were certain times for trials, and there were certain procedures and processes when somebody was to be on trial and to be punished. Um, but they didn't, they didn't follow those letters of the law. They came and they, they brought her at this different time. So picture this, it's dawn, and they already have a mob. So a mob came with them, bringing this woman through the streets. So there had to be a very premeditated nature to this, to already have a mob assembled at dawn. And one of the things they were trying to do was get a bigger crowd than what Jesus had listening to him, that were sitting with him. And I love the fact that it says in John 8 that he was he sat down to teach. He sat with them. He did nothing that separated him from them. He, he really entered in with them. But here are the Pharisees, and they are determined to trap him. They want to have him say or do something that would turn 
the people away from him or the Roman government against him. So they have this crowd. And interestingly, the man caught in adultery with the woman is absent from this scene. He's nowhere to be found, but that wasn't according to the law. The Mosaic law said that both partners in an act of adultery would be punished. But this isn't what is happening. The very law that the Pharisees are clinging so tightly to, they're they're not honoring. And this is the thing they say they're fighting for, for the Mosaic law to be honored. And they've already broken it. (laughs) But here they are coming to try to prove that Jesus would break it. And so they don't, the man is not with them. And, um, and again, it would not be usual to gather this early to deal with a wayward person and, and to have this mob assembled. So even though the woman was, was sinning, she was truly in the wrong place at the wrong time. So they drug her from the bed to the temple half clothed. Yet, she was fully clothed in shame. As they're going through, they, dra- they drug her through the marketplace like a commodity. And I'm sure many gaped at her. And if there were any mothers, you know, and children that were up and hearing the commotion, I'm sure mothers were covering the eyes of their children and, and all these things. Accusations are being hurled like stones at the woman. She's got condemnation on every side. And it's just allows what, what still gets allowed today. When someone else's sin is present, we can ignore our own. When somebody else's aim is off, we can ignore where our arrow is. And, and all of these things the Pharisees are doing is just revealing that they're as lust-filled as the man and woman were that they had caught, in quotations. <laughs> so... And here you come to this moment, the Pharisees were sure they were right, and the woman knew she was wrong. So you have these, these two sides, and the Pharisees expected to be justified in what they were doing, and the woman expected to be punished. So they all knew what to expect according to the law, but Jesus came according to love. And they're about to encounter the truth of why he was born and who he was born for. And doesn't Jesus just have that way of drawing sides to the center, to where they really belong, drawing us all to the sacred space of each other and to get to see each other differently? It's just what he does. He was born for that. So the Pharisees are afraid. They're so afraid of their way of life being disrupted, the structures that they built being overturned. So they were driven by fear. And we got to uh, have a conversation with somebody last week, um, Branded, and she was, we were talking about things like this, and she just shared something the Lord had said to her, you can be driven by fear or led by love. And that is the story. I was astounded because I'm already in the middle of this story. It's like, yes, that's it. You can be driven by fear or led by love. And this story 
so reveals that. So, you know, they didn't bring this woman to Jesus and gently set her before Him. They flung her at His feet, and she's now in the center of all the people, and it says, in the midst of them, just thrown to the dirt, and and already in a position to be stoned, you know, and they've already determined her outcome, but the trap is about what Jesus will say. So, here's something else about this moment. Um, in in the, the Mosaic Law, in the way they operated, there were certain procedures set up. And so, if if the the issue was monetary, there were three judges that would come together and they would decide what to do. But if it was a capital offense like adultery was, there would be 23 judges that would come together. And this is described in Numbers 35, 24 through 25. And I'm not going to read it, but you should read it sometime. It's pretty interesting. Um it's, it says a pretty incredible thing in its essence. The community shall judge and the community shall save is, is the essence of it. So you have to just look at that sometime and maybe I will one day, but maybe I won't. So <laughs> here we are. Um, but the reason they would have 23 justices, judges is so that justice and mercy would be balanced. So it wasn't just that, okay, well, we have to do this. It, there was actually this uh, mignon or this quorum that would would really weigh out what was to be done. So here they bring her without any of that in place, but they bring her to Jesus to be everything because He is everything. And He was born for this to bring balance, to bring justice and mercy. The law said death, but what did love say? And he was going to reveal that. No matter what he answered, he was going to break one law or the other, because he would either break what they considered as the Mosaic law, or he would actually break the Roman law, because they, they were moving away from the death sentence and that kind of thing. So, there's a lot to that. But Anyway, he was going to break a law, you know, no matter what. And so, either the Roman government would be against him, the religious government would be against him, but no matter what, their hope was to turn the people away from him. Because if he said she should die, then what was every message they'd been hanging on every word of up till now? And really, for the Pharisees, what what was in peril was their comfortability. And that that can be what happens for us when we have uh, battles we go into without Him. It's, do we only protect what makes us comfortable? Do we only fight against what makes us uncomfortable? That is so often how we end up choosing a side. So here they are, really in a culture war, truly, and... And a culture war comes from a desire to see something different. But, but our hearts, as, as Christ here, 
is to see truth and trust and hope emerge and for people to be saved. That's always our hope. But what happens is we can instead protect our own way of life, our established things or our establishments, and we no longer try to see love thrive, but that's when fear begins to drive and we look at what we think can be torn away from us. But if love is what motivates us, we begin to have this gospel heart, the, a heart about hunger and need, and it keeps our focus from going to what we hate and keeps it on who we love because it's who He loves. So um, Jesus has been speaking on the most important matters of the law. Like, so he's, he's been speaking of the law, but he's been speaking of the most important matters, which were justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And what he's is really been saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these opposed is that you've discarded these things but are enforcing these things and they don't bring life. They don't, they don't bring people to life. And so here in this season of, of the gift and giving, we get to look at these gifts He came with, justice and mercy and faithfulness, and we begin to ask ourselves, can we afford these gifts? You know, in the natural, when we're shopping and all those things, we're looking at what we can afford and divvying out. Okay, we've got this many gifts to get and this much money, you know, and we it's this false balance in a way because our heart really first is to look at, can we afford justice and mercy together? Can we be faithful to both of them? And we must be able to afford that. In this day, we must. So, so this woman that is brought to Jesus, she's in a culture where women were expendable, in to to all those to the even the government and to the religious leaders. But she's not expendable to Jesus. But where she's coming from is she's not supposed to forget her place, and that there are assets that a woman is. Um, valued on in its virginity and fidelity. These are what she's judged on. And so this woman has surrendered much for little. She's given away so much for very little. And and she's just in this kind of soul-shriveling moment where there's just nothing left. And so after she's she's dropped in the dirt, she sits still and silent. She isn't standing defiantly. She knows her place. She knows what to expect in this moment, and it's most likely death. And so she she is brought low in every way you can be brought low. So Jesus is here, and she's in the midst of them. And so they say to him, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Can you even imagine being caught right in the middle of a sin? and being drug out through the community, through the marketplace, and brought to a holy place to be condemned. Like, that is the expectation, is to be condemned. Like, no matter what the sin is, picture being caught right in the middle of it, 
and being drug out, and there's no denying it. There's no denying that you did it. You know you're wrong, and somebody else gets to be right because of it. If you're living in a land with no mercy, in a a world with no mercy. So they say now... um, the Mosaic law commands that a woman like this be stoned to death, but what do you say about it? So Yeshua bent down and began writing in the dust with his finger. So one of the very first things I'm moved by in this is his motion, Jesus' motion. Four times he moves, and I feel like each one represents one of the covenants. So he bends down, he writes in the dust, they keep questioning, he straightens up and says, The one of you who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bends down again, and he writes in the dust again. Then they begin to leave one by one, and I'm going to touch on that in a second. And then he stands up again, and he says to her, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And Yeshua said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and don't sin anymore. Now, the first thing I love is the forgiveness came first. It wasn't conditional on her choosing. The forgiveness was given, and then he knew her choice could flow from the forgiveness. And don't we sometimes want someone to change first before we forgive them? We want them to repent first before we offer that gift but that's not how Jesus did it. He believed that that choice would flow from that forgiveness that was given. So he didn't condemn her, even though that's what they wanted, the religious leaders wanted. And why did they want that? Because condemnation turns us inward. Compassion turns us outward. So here's Jesus balancing justice and mercy he, he came because of these very things. He came for this woman. He came for each one of us who could be drug out of our sin and paraded before God and everybody. I mean, this will change your thought process on before God and everybody. And offered something else. He offered mercy with the justice. He does want to pierce our hearts. He does want to reveal when we are aimed wrong, but he offers a return with it. He offers redemption with it. And so, and then that compassion that we receive turns us outward to offer it to someone else. Condemnation just tries to get us to ignore the truth that he came for us, that he's seeking us. That's what condemnation tries to do. He didn't come for me. He came for everybody but me, but he came right for us, right to us. And that's what this sign is to this woman. I came for you. No matter how bad you think it is, I came for you. No matter how condemned or how accused, I came to be one with you so there's nothing between us. And we have a beautiful song (laughs) that Reese did that still just messes me up every time. So Jesus has these four motions. He bends low He stands again, he bends again, and he stands. But when he bends low, he's meeting her where she is. She's 
in the dirt, and he's meeting her right in the middle of her sin. And he casts himself low with her. He doesn't allow anything to separate him from her. Not the dirt of the ground, not the dirt in her heart, not the dirt of what she's done, because dirt is something that can be created from, and he knows she can be recreated. So he writes something, and so much conversation and debate over what he wrote, and I've read many of those. The one I love is that he simply, the first time he wrote, made a yod, the letter of yod. And, and that was the first thing that would have impacted these religious leaders because it is the letter of the silent name of God. And it's, it's that mother heart of God. It's the one that speaks of mercy and compassion and um, nurturing and caring for. So he may have written that letter, and I'm not trying to make that point. I just love it that he wrote that, and they understood in a moment. Because if he had written Elohim, then there would he would have been speaking about justice and protection and discipline. But if he was writing this this other name of God, which was mercy and caring and love and nurturing and compassion, they would have known what he was writing. Like they could see what it was. And there's many discussions. I just love that he was possibly writing about the nature of God that was needed in that moment. And it was mercy. They all had their false justice, their own form of justice, which wasn't even close to God's that they wanted to have, you know, enacted so that the government, the Roman government and the people would turn against him and he would no longer have these gatherings. But in that moment, they realize he's calling for mercy. He's calling for mercy. So he stands up and he says, if you have no sin, the other way to say that is if you have no need of mercy, then cast the first stone and not one of them could acknowledge because part of the law that they were enforcing said it was a, it was a sin to say you had no sin. So they couldn't say that. They would have been breaking the law to say they had no sin. So here... He turns the tables on them, and they begin to walk away. And it says, from the oldest. And that's an interesting description of when they're walking away. It says, they walk away. On hearing this, they began to leave one by one, the olders first. Why? Why is that important? Because it was those who would have been considered to have the greatest authority. They understood first that they would always have need of mercy. And they walked away until every single one of them walked away. And then he, he looks to her again, where are they? Who is left to condemn? Who has actually found you guilty? And she said, no one. There are no more raised voices. There are no more raised stones. They all went away. She was not alone. He remained, and he held his space next to her. He wouldn't leave her until they were one. He found her in a sacred space. He 
made where she was holy by becoming one with her because he said, I will not, I don't condemn you either. And he became a savior to deliver her from shame. She, he delivered her from what she needed, delivered from most. She saw what Jesus would do here, half clothed in the middle of the street, her sin bared right next to God. I mean, her sin is bared right next to God. And he takes it all away. He takes every ounce of it away. Go, stop sinning, live free. Condemnation heralds a legion, but compassion heralds hope. And that's what he gave her. And he became one with her. And he was no longer, that was no longer a sign. In that moment, they could speak against it was so. It's why he was born. It's why he lived. It's why he died. And we get to carry that. So much. I think one of the things that I I just love in that is that, um, you know, I, I'm one of those people who believes that, that God says those very words every time yeah. we come in. And, and I think, I think we've, we've gone over this deep in the past, but it seems like in Hebrews or one of those, there's the, you know, if you deliberately keep on sinning concept and it, it really has scared a lot of people, you know, that, well, gosh, I mean, yeah. I mean, aren't we all going to just keep, I mean, you know what I'm saying? We're, you know, we're, we're not transformed yet, but just, I, I always, I always, I always go back to that every time we sin, you know, every time we're selfish, every time we express that, that part of the world that's, that's going to go away, praise God, mm-hmm. um, that, that Jesus says, well, I don't condemn you either, you know? Yeah. And I just, <sighs> I just uh, He's yeah, so good. melted by our King. Yeah. He comes right into our dirt and breathes life and reminds us. We were created, and yeah, I when you were sharing that about the the rising and falling and the barrenness and the harvest, I had seen a similar thing with him standing and then bending, and it was when he was standing, he was sowing. When he was bending, he was harvesting, mm. and he was sowing into the hearts of those around him, and then he was harvesting from her. Yeah. I love him. Hearts pierced. Fruit is happening. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas, and I guess Happy New Year, because we won't talk to you again till after the New Year. Yes. But H- have a wonderful time with Jesus. Yeah. And see what glorious things the Spirit says through you. Yeah. Yeah. He's with you. Mm. Amen.